been researching and looking at um, something that's uh, been on my mind. It's how do we actually get superpowers? I mean, this is really important. I, we we got to know this. And so I, I, the research I've done, I found out it's, so number one is getting bit by a radioactive spider. So that's, that's one of the key routes to superpowers. Um, another is contact with some kind of alien artifact or ancient, ancient thing like an infinity stone. You know, that'll seem to do it. Um, the most common way seems to be in some kind of failed experiment, being bombarded with some kind of radiation or chemical, that, that can make you into a superhero. Um, and then there's the more technological route, incorporating some new technology into your body, like Iron Man. You know, you, you make yourself into a robot thing. So those seem to be the main ways, I'm sure there might be others, of getting superpowers. This morning, we're going to talk about the Holy Spirit. In fact, this is part two. Last week, we talked about the Holy Spirit and how it is God's presence within us. Within us, It is how, how he, He's with us forever through His Spirit. And He comes alongside of us in our lives. What I want to focus on today is that when the Holy Spirit gets in our lives, we have superpowers. Right? If power... There's new power that comes into our life, and superpower just means power from above. So there's a new power that's active in our life through this Holy Spirit, uh, through contact. We've come into contact with this ancient, ancient thing that now is in our life. We've incorporated it into our body. And, and so we're going to look at this question, because the Holy Spirit is not just for our benefit. It's not just so that we have God's presence with us, though it certainly is that. It's part of God's plan for the kingdom. And the question that I want to really focus on is why is it better that Jesus goes back to the Father rather than staying with the disciples? So think about it. After the resurrection, you know, Jesus had, had been raised from the dead and he showed himself to the disciples and some others. Why not just stick around? Why couldn't he just keep, you know, making appearances, keep showing up to people? Um, you know, why, why does Jesus go back to the Father? And what we hear and what we're seeing in, in this passage is Jesus says, you know, rejoice because I am going to the Father. The Father is greater. In, in chapter 16, Jesus will say there's actually a choice between me staying in the flesh and the Spirit coming. He, and this is 16.7. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. The helper is what he calls the Holy Spirit. But if I go, I will send him to you. So why is that the better choice? Why is God going with this plan to, to put his Holy Spirit upon his people? That's actually the question the disciples ask, basically. Last week in the passage we looked at, we see the, the Judas, not Judas Iscariot, but one of the disciples asks, Lord, why do you intend to show yourself to us and not the world? Like, 
Because Jesus had said, I'm going to show myself to you. You'll know me because I'll be living with you. He says, why are you showing yourself just to us? Why not show yourself to the people of the world, those who are the disciples? And then Jesus answers the question. And you tell me, did, does Jesus answer their question? So Jesus says, anyone who loves me, he will obey my teaching. My Father will love them, and we will come to them and make our home with them. It sounds like Jesus is dodging the question. That he just reiterates the same thing he pretty much had said in verse 21. And that's kind of what I'd always thought. That Jesus says, don't worry about that. Just know, you know, I'm going to come live in you. And then I realized, oh, he is answering the question, right? How will the world see Jesus? How will Jesus manifest himself within this world? How will he be seen by the people of the world? It's not in the flesh. He is going to ascend the Father. We had the incarnation. He came in the flesh. Now he's going to be with the Father, and the way to see Jesus is through his church, his people. Jesus is going to put his presence within all who trust in him, all who decide to follow him, to keep his words, all who come into a love relationship with him. His spirit dwells in them, and it's through his people, his church, that the world will be able to see whether that's true or not. That's the plan. That, that's, you know, it's not going to be to keep making um, resurrection appearances or anything. I mean, if it were me, after the resurrection, I, I think I would have, you know, made a few appearances to, to, to non But after the resurrection, Jesus only appeared to his disciples. He didn't go to the skeptics. But I would have been like showing up at Pilate's house. Hey, hey, remember me? You know, uh, Hey, I was wondering, you know, I might ask the soldiers, hey, do you guys still have that crown of thorn things? I kind of want to hold on to that, you know. Or, or I may have gone to the, the high priest's place and said, hey, guess what? I'm back. Surprise, you know. I'd have had some fun with it. But Jesus, you know, he, 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 he didn't do that. Instead, he would only show himself to the disciples. The world's way of seeing Jesus will be as he's living within his disciples, those who keep his word. And then Jesus kind of gives the converse in verse 24. We, we touched on this a little bit. He says, um, but if you don't keep my word, if you don't love me, then, you know, people won't see, right? If, if those who are supposed to be the disciples of Jesus, those who bear the name of Christ, if we don't really keep his word, if we're not really walking with Christ, seeking to love God, then how will the world see? I have friends on Facebook. Um, of course, we all do. But unless you've given up Facebook. But anyways, the, the, they were Christian friends from when I was in high school. In fact, one was I was in a prayer group together. She led the prayer group. And now I, I just see her posting things very hostile about Christianity when she sees it. And I... I interacted with her just a little enough to know that she got really burned by some experience in the church, that she was probably abused and mistreated. 
And I think about what happens when followers of Christ, when the church doesn't do what we're called to do, doesn't really love people in the name of Jesus. I wonder if some of the the challenge we're facing in the church and society right now is we're paying the price for for that in the past. And we we might have to re-earn a better name for Jesus Christ in this world. We might have to humbly serve because there's so many people that feel like the church They've been abused by him and messed up, and it's people are not seeing Jesus in the church. How do we fix that? That's an aside, but um, let's look at our passage, and let's look at what it says about why it really is better that Jesus would go away and reveal himself through, through his people. So in 12 to 14, it talks about greater works. Jesus says, those who believe in me will do, do the works that I do and even greater works than these. Now, my mind immediately goes to like, oh, cool. You know, I get to walk on water, you know, or maybe jog on water since it's going to be greater. Or, you know, do I, I, I'd love to try out that water to wine thing just to, you know, see how that, that goes. You know, do we get to do the, the miraculous things that Jesus did? Now, Sometimes, God does do miracles through the church. But miracles in and of themselves don't exactly always advance the gospel. The goal is, the greater work is to bring the advancement of the gospel in this world, right? That more people would come to believe. But think about what happened when Jesus did miracles in his time. Um, Oftentimes, people sort of, they just... You know, he'd do one miracle and they just want, they'd demand more, right? You, the, you know, he fed the 5,000 miraculously. They came back the next day for more bread. And so the miracles did not always lead people to actually trusting in God. What does lead people? What can have a greater impact is people seeing Jesus in everyday, ordinary believers through the Holy Spirit. Acts 4.13, I love this verse. And it's talking about when the religious leaders who were hostile to Jesus, it says, when, when they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished and they took note that these men had been with Jesus. Right? Jesus had rubbed off on them. And now Jesus was living in them. And they were seeing it. You know, these weren't professional religious people. They were fishermen, unschooled, common people who had been following Jesus and it changed their lives. That's the greater work that happens, is that Christ lives out through his people, common, ordinary, everyday people. Um, there's a, a thing I want to note in the text of the uh, 14. It says, it, it starts with singular and then moves to plural. So it started by saying, if um, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do. It's, it's speaking in singular. Because that means each one of us, each person, has a role to play in this, this gospel work. Right? But then in verse 13, it switches to plural. Whatever you, and that's a plural you, whatever you together ask in my name. Because it's talking about you together are seeking 
as, as a church body to do the work, to, to advance the gospel. You're not just, you know, whatever you ask in my name, if you ask for a Porsche, a Ferrari, you know, it doesn't work like that. It's whatever you together are doing as God's people and you, you ask in my name, that's when you're going to see the power come out. That's when you're going to see answers to prayer. When, when the church is working together to advance the gospel. That's why we're, we did a prayer vigil before. We're doing another one in, in March. We believe when God's people agree together in prayer, it makes a difference. It's vital to pray. We're, we're doing a Thursday morning prayer time at 8 a.m. We'd love to have more people come and pray for the things that are happening in this church, praying for God's power to be alive and active in this church. Whatever you ask in my name, he will do. So we'll see greater works when we ask for him. The second thing we'll see greater of is greater presence. This goes back to the, the passage. It's, it's bef- not what we read today, but what I talked about, how Jesus said, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with them so that we will have the presence of God living in our lives. And and so when Jesus was around, he was with his disciples, right? He came alongside them. He walked with them. They had his presence with them. How much more do we have God's presence when he's dwelling within us, the indwelling spirit? The other thing, when Jesus was on earth, how often were they, the disciples fighting over who got to be with him the most? You know, they, they became jealous of, of how one person got more time with Jesus. Or there was always a, a challenge between whether Jesus would spend time with the crowds or whether he'd focus on his disciples. La- last year I did a, a sermon um, on the Mark 7, the Syrophoenician women, woman. And I argued then that, that the issue was that Jesus was put in a spot where he, he had to choose. Does he help this woman? Or does he focus on his disciples? Jesus in the flesh always had that problem. But now, with the Spirit, God's presence can be with an unlimited number of people. No longer are we limited in how much time we can have with our Savior. We can be with him. We can call out to him. Any people can. So we'll have a greater sense, a greater presence with with the Spirit. We'll also have greater teaching. So in verse 25, Jesus says, These things I have spoken to you while I'm still with you. I, I was your teacher. Right? And he says, I, you know, I've, I've been your teacher and your, your Lord. And that's what you've called me. But in verse 26, But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will now be your teacher. He will teach you all things and will bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. So Jesus had taught the crowds, and the crowds have been amazed at his teachings. How many memorable sayings of Jesus do we have? You know, um, like going the second mile, or removing the speck from your eye, like the, all the things, all the stories, the parable of the Good Samaritan. Jesus' teachings were very memorable. That uh, he, was, he was an incredible teacher. And yet even then, his disciples were often confused. It's like, Jesus, could you explain this to us? We didn't, like, they would hear him, and yet they would not understand. The Holy Spirit can teach in a different way. 
the Holy Spirit, he can, it says he'll call to mind and help us remember the words of Jesus, help, help, help sink them into our mind, help us understand them, know what they're meant to mean, and know how they apply in our lives. It's, it's, it's a different kind of teaching. It's a teaching that comes from the inside. Um, and in that way, he will teach us all things. He'll enable the Spirit, using God's Word, using the teaching of Jesus, will enable us to understand the, the things of God. And that's what Jeremiah said would happen. Jeremiah was one of the Old Testament prophets, and he says, when the new covenant happens, it's going gonna, it's gonna to be different. It says, this is the, the covenant I will make with the people of Israel after that time. This is, this is in the new covenant. It says, I will put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts. That's when I, I will be their God and they will be my people. There's all kinds of great and Jeremiah 31, if you want to look it up, it's, it's worth reading the whole things he talks about with the new covenant. But notice, he will write it on our, our write his law, write his word on our hearts. See, we, we had the word, but we struggled to live up to the word. And now he's gonna, the Holy Spirit's going to teach us in this different way. With the Holy Spirit, we will even have a greater peace. Jesus, there were times when he brought peace to his disciples, when they were afraid, and he answered and helped them, I think especially of the calming of the storm. Right? They were afraid they were going to die in the storm, and Jesus spoke, peace, be still, and he calmed the storm that was taking place. But even then, at times, they, they were... Afraid, they were upset, they were anxious about the stuff, and the the peace of Jesus didn't always get all the way to them, to their hearts. In fact, it says that after Jesus calmed the storm, it says they were terrified of Jesus. You know, like who is this guy that just did this? The Holy Spirit can again bring the peace from the inside out. Jesus says, "My peace, I will give you." Jesus was utterly at peace. Because he, he walked in, in the rest of the Father. And he can give that to us. We too can, can come and receive his rest in our lives, his peace. The anxiety and fear that so often rules our lives. That can become as we, we yield our hearts to, to, to the Lord. Philippians 4 is a great passage that just talks about this. Um, it says, do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. So if you're worried about something, if anxiety is in your heart, and sometimes you've got to stop and think, what am I really anxious of? What would I, if I, if I would ask God for something, what would I actually ask him for? Like, think about what, what it is that actually is bothering you. Sometimes we're, we're not even in tune with ourselves. And so we stop and we pray. And, and when we pray, we lift up that request to God. God, I need you to do this. I, I don't, I'm, I'm so worried about this. God, will you help us with this? And then it says, and what's the result? The peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. He will put a guard through the Spirit that, that
that brings the peace to our hearts, our emotions, and our minds, the racing thoughts, so that we can have that, that, that peace within. Jesus says, I don't give as the world gives. You know, the world will give you other ways of dealing with anxiety. The world will tell you to, to self-medicate, right? Get drunk. Forget about it for a night. The world will pl- ply you with distractions. Just play video games and don't think about all the problems you've you got to face. Or they'll tell you, the world will tell you, go buy something, right? Go, go buy stuff you don't need. That'll make you feel better. Go to the mall. The, the world will give its way of dealing with these anxieties. How much better is the Holy Spirit inside leading us to God's peace? Jesus will ascend to a greater position. So verse 28, we're kind of walking through the passage now. You heard me say I'm going away and I will come to you. If you love me, you would have rejoiced because I'm going to the Father and the Father is greater than I. Um, Jesus, so after the resurrection, Jesus spent 40 days making appearances to his disciples. And then it says he ascended up to be with his Father and is now seated at the right hand of of God. And so he's seated in the throne room of God. And so from there, he is ruling over the universe. He he's the one in charge. He's been he's been declared to be the king of all. And so from that position, Jesus is now ruling over the world. He's no longer walking around on the earth in his incarnated state. Instead, he's lord of all. But here, think about what this means. You see, when we declare as God's people that Jesus is Lord, we're saying that the same one who healed the blind man, the same one who showed care for the leper and put his hands on him when no one else had touched him, the same one who defended the widows and the hurting, the same one who took time to listen to the woman who had been sick for all those years, that is the one who's been put in charge of the world. Isn't that good news? That that's that's the one who's Lord of all? That's what we say when we're saying Jesus is Lord. Um, But before he could ascend, Jesus, um, well, first of all, he says he's making final preparations. And so verse 29, And now I have told you before it takes place, so that when it does take place, you may believe. So this is the sermon series we're doing, right? We're, we're, we're looking at these John 14, 15, and 16, these, these last chance that Jesus has to prepare his disciples for this transition because they had had Jesus with them in the flesh. Now it's going to be through the Spirit. And so Jesus is preparing his disciples for this, this transition. And at the same time, he says he knows they won't get it until they've seen it. How many things are like that, right? Someone could try to tell you, you know, be ready for this. You know, be ready to have your first child, right? And they could tell you all the things that you're going to experience. But until you go through it, until you're a a parent for the first time, like, you're not going to get it. Or there's all kinds of things like that. And, And I think so Jesus is telling them so that when they do go through it, when it does take place, like, oh, that's what he meant. Now I believe. And, and then John 
remember the teaching well enough to pass it on to us. And that's why we, we have it written down in the gospel. So this is the final preparations. And then verse 30. There before the Spirit can come, there has to be one last encounter, one last battle. Jesus says, I will no longer talk much with you, for the ruler of this world is coming. When he talks about the rule of the world, he's talking about the devil, Satan. The enemy of God who was there at the beginning in the garden trying to lead God's people, lead people away from God, trying to to pull them out of God's love and grace. And Jesus is now going to confront the one he calls the ruler of this world. And he says, he has no claim on me. Why does he have no claim on Jesus? Because Jesus never sinned. Jesus had, had nothing wrong about him that the enemy could claim as he's guilty of. But this ruler of the world that does have a claim or did have a claim on everyone else, on you and me and every person that has ever existed Because we have all done wrong. We have all fallen short of God's plan, of God's word, of God's laws. And Jesus would have to deal with that claim. That's the only way to to save, bring salvation. And I think one of the best books, images of that, is the the Narnia books by C.S. Lewis. And it, it gets that same idea. These are the great, if you've never read them, it's The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe is the first of the books. It's the best of the books. Um, the movie's good too, but the books are even better. But in the movie, there's one young boy named Edmund who betrays his brothers and sisters. He's the traitor. There's an evil white witch, and, and the evil white witch says she all traitors belong to her. So Edmund, because he, he is a traitor, he is under her power. And, and the lion is a depiction of Jesus. His name is Aslan. In Narnia, Jesus is a lion. And so in order to, to, to deal with the claim that the white witch has over Edmund, he trades himself. He makes a deal. He will, he will give himself into her power, and Edmund will go free. And then she uses that to kill him to kill Aslan, but because he, Aslan, like Jesus, had, had never done wrong, never sinned, Aslan comes back to life, and that's how he defeats the white witch. That's C.S. Lewis's depiction of what Jesus was doing. He was going to deal with the claim that God's enemy has over all people because of our sin by paying that sin himself and dealing with that problem, and so defeating the power that it has against us. And, and it's a rescue mission. And by taking upon the shame of the cross, this public event where all could see, and Jesus says, it, it's then um, that everyone must know, I do as the Father command me, and everyone must know that I love the Father. It would be by the cross, this public event where Jesus was, was being shamed and killed and taking our place 
by which we see how much Jesus' love is for doing what the Father says. How great is God's love extended to us. Um, that's, by the way, that's the superpower we get. When we put our trust in Jesus, when we accept that love, then it comes into our life. We are given the ability to love others. It says another place in 1 John, we love because he first loved us. We're not really able to love others very well. Sometimes the things we call love, we're just trying to do nice things so that they like us. Right? So much of the things we do that look like love or what the Lord calls love, we're actually trying to satisfy our own desires. But the love of God is such that, that we actually do for the benefit of others. That kind of love we need God's help for. And so now that the Holy Spirit is dwelling in our lives, God's love begins to overflow and fill our, our own life, our own self, our own heart so that we are truly able to love others as we have been loved. There's a new power from above in our life. I want you to think about the power of the Holy Spirit in you. If you've said yes to Jesus, then he's given you his spirit. He's with you. Are you seeing his power in your life, his power to... to to learn about God, his power to, to walk with God, his power to have God's peace in the midst of challenges, his power to, to, to advance the kingdom. I want you to think about what kind of power do you desire? And so we're going to spend a minute in closing prayer. Um, and I want you to finish this sentence. I want you to pray this to God. Lord, by your Holy Spirit living in me, give me the power to. And then you fill it in. How would you fill in that sentence? How would you ask for that kind of power to be operating in our life? Let's pray. Father, we, your people, ask for your spirit to be alive and real within us and that we would know your power. So, Lord, by the Holy Spirit living in each of us, give us this power.